The following audio is from Hope Hill Church. To learn more about Hope Hill Church, please visit hopehillchurch.org. series today. Uh, it's called Bless, uh, as, as you see up on the screen. That series also ties directly to the series that we've been going through, Gospel Shape Outreach, and the two of them are going to kind of merge together as the community groups continue uh, to go through that study uh, into the conclusion of it. Um, fantastic uh, study that we're going to be leading into. I have the opportunity to start it off with, with the B in Bless, and, and we'll talk about that in just a second. Um, two incredible testimonies that, that were just up here in the front of the room. If you're kind of new to Hope Hill Church and you don't know what Hope House is, um, that is our outreach to the community. It's, it's one of, we hope, many in the future uh, uh, places that we have within our community that we can actually kind of live and, and go into certain specific communities to help out those individuals that are there. And, you know, we have a clothes closet there. We have a food pantry. We have a place that uh, people can come and do Bible study, a place that they can learn English as a, as a second language. A lot of services that are centered around that that are specifically and intentional to try to help the community that we're actually in. Um, the word bless uh, obviously uh, speaks for itself. You know, we are blessed by God, so we should be a blessing to others as well. And, and the B in bless, it, it starts with prayer, so it begins with prayer. That's what the B stands for. Um, this is what we're going to talk about today within our study, and we're going to go into this in a little bit of detail, but really trying to have an understanding of what we're trying to pray for and what we're trying to accomplish. Um, the L in bless has to do with listening. And you heard, heard the video, and it's, it's really, as you are within a community, uh, whether it's where you work, live, or play, um, if, if you're out missionally helping someone out, you should be listening to the things that are going on um, with the individuals that are there. You know, the worries that they have, uh, the hurt that they have, uh, the problems that they might be facing. 
listen to what's going on in their lives and see how we can help them out. And in doing so, the E in blessed has to do with eating. So um, we all like food, and I know I've eaten way too much towards my lifetime. This is not hard to do. You, know, you can share a meal with somebody. Invite them out to lunch. You know, um, over a community group, have, have a meal. Invite someone uh, to, to share in some way with you and I, because that is a way that we can get to know through this whole process. Um, the next letter is S, and that is to serve. So after you've built that relationship and you've listened to the individual, what we're supposed to do is start to kind of think about the things of how we can help them out. How can we serve them? How can we show the life of Christ to them through our service? And then the last S in, in blessed really has to do with sharing, sharing our story. So once you've developed that relationship, once, once you really start to kind of build on, those, on, the, on the things that are there, it gives you that opportunity to actually share who you're about and, and share the love of Christ. So <clears throat> it's, it's a really great series, and like I said, I have the opportunity to start it off. So if we are out in the community where we work, we live, we play, we have unlimited opportunities to, to share the love of Christ. I had Cindy this morning here as my uh, first example. Cindy is the uh, missionary that actually lives in the boathouse that reaches out to the Park. She was sitting down there, but she, I think she left this morning and she was here in person. She's loading up stuff outside. For Cindy, sharing the gospel or sharing the love of Christ, that's easy for her. It, it, it's almost like second nature. It's kind of like us drinking a full glass of water on a hot summer day. It, it becomes just part of who she is. And, and But many of us in this room, sharing your faith can be really hard intimidating at times. I don't know what the right thing to say is, 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 you know, I don't know how to do it. I don't know, you know, what opportunities I might have. You know, it might be frightening. It might be downright scary at times, you know, to actually be vulnerable enough to kind of share what your faith is all about. But the good news is, you know, the greatest story in the world is what Christ did for us on the cross. And the fact that every person has the opportunity to have eternal life through that, and it should become natural. So I'm here to tell you, through this series, it'll give you some practical tools to try to help you uh, gain courage and gain, uh, I guess, knowledge to be able to share your faith with others in an easy way. <clears throat> now, the be and blesses begin with prayer. So in order to accomplish that, um, we, need to, we need to pray. We need to reach out to God, our Father, and, and pray through that. But before we actually pray, we should know what we're praying about and what we're praying for. So as Christians, what is our mission? What are we trying to do? What are we trying to accomplish? And Jesus had some really great practical words for this because he was asked. Um, so what we're supposed to do on our mission is three really basic things. We're supposed to love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, and soul. So that's the first thing. And then he told us, after you kind of have mastered that or while you're mastering that because that's going to be probably a lifetime commitment figuring out that relationship with God. We're supposed to love one another. So, you know, look to your left and right. Go ahead. Just look at someone and tell them you love them. Say, I love you. Okay. We have to love one another. So that's the second step that God really wanted us to do is to love one another. And then the third step of that process is go out and tell people about Jesus. Make disciples of them. 
share the love of Christ with them, and show them that God wants to have that intimate relationship with each one. So that's the mission. That's what we're trying to accomplish. <clears throat> so how do we uh, start that process? We start it through, through prayer. So before we even get really digging into our study, why don't we do that? Let's, let's bow our heads and let's pray. So Father God, we, uh, we are just so thankful for you. We are thankful that we have a place that we can come and, and share and hear your word. We are thankful that uh, you love us so much that you were willing to put your son on the cross um, so that we might have eternal life with him. We are thankful that um, there are people that are around us in our communities that, that need to hear that love, and we are thankful that you have made us ambassadors for that. Father God, uh, as I speak today, I, I wish to speak your word, so I ask that your Holy Spirit just take control of this situation. Give me the right words to say the right story to tell, and just guide me as we go through this. And just let the ears of the people in the audience be, be open. Let the minds be open to something that might be a little bit different and new. And just be an encouragement to us as we go through this process. In Jesus' name, I pray. So we're going to f- focus on a couple of uh, statements from the New Testament. Prayers that are found in the New Testament. And <coughs> words that are associated with prayer. So the first word that uh, we're going to talk about is deomai. It's a Greek word. Um, deomai is, is the kind of prayer that Steve, we were praying this week when Tammy was going through. It's a sense of urgency. It's a crisis situation. It's something that is uh, deep within you that you are just tormented and struggling with and, and you're emotional and you're reaching out to God make that happen. I can remember a time, um, October 7th, 1995, um, I see my wife and my family sitting over there, and they are all very familiar with this time. Um, That was the day that my daughter Ashley was born. Now that day was two things. It was probably one of the greatest things and experiences that I had in my life, and it was also probably one of the worst days of my life. back up a step. I'll back up the day before. October 6th. Um, it was about midday, and Lisa and I were living in Chicago at the time, and <clears throat> I was downtown Chicago, and she was uh, in a suburb, and she was going to a, a doctor's appointment. It was a routine appointment that she had. The doctor wanted to see her on a routine basis um, through the end part of her pregnancy because she was suffering from uh, fluid toxicity. So he was keeping an eye on her blood pressure, her water retention, to make sure things it started off as a, as a really good day. She, she knew she had the doctor's appointment. I had some business to take care of downtown Chicago. And when I was downtown, I get this phone call from my office and said, your wife is having a baby. You need to get back here fast. And I said, wait a second. She's not supposed to have the baby until next week. Because me, I'm the control guy that, you know, makes sure that everything is going to happen exactly the way that I want it to happen. But No. I didn't even find out what hospital they had taken her to. I didn't find out any of that information. So I'm frantically driving back. It's about a 20-minute drive from downtown to where, where uh, our office was, and the hospital ended up being just up the road. So I get into the hospital, and, and, and Lisa says, oh, I'm not having the baby yet. I'm going to have the baby. So immediately that relief of, of tension just kind of uh, um, occurred. She said, the doctor doesn't like my blood pressure. It's, it's a little bit too high, and I'm retaining water, and 
baby started doing scruffs that were going to go ahead and produce a pregnancy. So I said, okay, you know, a couple of hours, we'll be done with this. They'll pump her full of Pitocin, induce labor. Um, yeah, it didn't quite work out that way. 20 hours into labor, and now we're uh, into the next day, October 7th. Um, I need to take one little step back. Lisa's doctor, her gynecologist, he was this really laid-back guy. Picture like how a surfer would talk, you know. Hey, dude, how's it going? Anything good with you guys? This is this is the kind of doc. He's a really laid-back guy. He went back. He went from being that very laid-back guy to, in an, in an instant, his eyes got really wide, and he looked at me and looked at Lisa, and he said, "I need to take your wife into emergency surgery." See, we found out later that Lisa is not quite. Ashley would have had to take a serious left turn to be born, is what the doctor said. So we went from, you know, this kind of really cool, intimate experience to sense of urgency. Um, at that point, we didn't know what was going on. So he looked at me and said, you can't come in from the operating room. We don't have time for you to be ready. But the two nurses that were in the room, the anesthesiologist and, and the doctor, all went into the operating room. I was looking through this small little tiny portal. And I could see everything that was going on, and I could kind of hear what was going on as well. The doctor was incredibly anxious. It looked like he was yelling at the anesthesiologist. Lisa was still half awake, so she filled me in on the detail. He was screaming at her, is she under yet? And the anesthesiologist was saying, no, not yet. <coughs> Finally, that she went under, and, and I'm witnessing it. I'm seeing all this. We cut her open. process of childbirth, uh, Lisa was born her uterus, and she was bleeding out. The baby was under distress. Um, a lot of really crazy things were happening. So immediately you go from kind of the relation of having a child to my wife's in trouble and my baby's in trouble, and you find yourself at that moment where you're looking to God and saying, please, stay away. and the door, handed me the baby in my stomach. And I don't know what this is, what the protocol, but she hands me the baby and says, I need to go back in and meet your wife. So she goes back in between the two nurses and the doctor, and they got her put back together. And she obviously is sitting there every day. So it's a happy story. But at that moment, it wasn't quite that happy. So that's kind of the first kind of prayer that uh, we're going to look at. The second kind of prayer is very conversational. It comes from the Greek word, the orto. Now, really what that means is just that you're asking. It's more kind of like a conversation that, that you might have, like you might ask somebody for something. It, it typically is a uh, type of prayer that is, is personal. You know the person on the other side. You know them with a sense of, of, of intimacy. Um, this is kind of how Jesus prayed to the Father. And he prayed to the Father a lot, and you can read through Scripture and find that, that he did. This is the kind of language that he was using when he was praying to the Father. Now, the best way I can kind of describe this um, is back in the late 90s, anybody remember AOL? I think they're trying to make a reboot. Um, 
back or something. But AOL was kind of that, that first way of communicating kind of online through chats and messaging. And in the late 90s, they introduced AIM, which was their instant messenger. Now, Lisa, Ashley, and I at the time, we were living in Pennsylvania. And <clears throat> we, um, I would come home after work, and, and basically my computer would be up. I'd have to finish off a few things before the end of my day. And AIM was always up and operating in the corner. And when I came in, I, uh, I would look up, and I would see often my dad was also on it in his uh, home office or at his office or wherever he was. And I don't even know if I told my mom this. My mom is sitting over here today. But dad and I used to chat all the time. I tell him how my day was. He'd tell me how his day was. You know, if I had an issue or a problem, you know, I'd throw it out to him how he would handle it. You know, and if you were to look at those messages that we had over the course of um, that time period, you know, and just look at the messages, you wouldn't know who I was and you wouldn't know who Ethan was, but you would definitely know that there was an intimate connection between us. You could read the messages and know we knew each other, and we felt comfortable talking to one another. That's the kind of uh, relationship that Jesus had with the Father. And he wants you to have that same kind of relationship as well, to be able to talk and communicate in a way of intimacy and for him to know you and you know him. And on the, the eve before Jesus died, he was having this kind of conversational prayer um, with God. And John is able to give us a really clear picture on some of the things that Jesus said. So he started off first and foremost by by praying for himself, because he knew his time was at hand. He knew he was going to be crucified uh, on the next day. He knew that uh, three days from now he was going to be resurrected, and he asked the Father that he would glorify and show his glory through him and through the, the actions that were getting ready to happen. So that was the first thing that he prayed. The second thing that he prayed really had to do with his disciples, because these are the guys that had spent the last three years with him, these are the ones that are going to carry on the mission after he leaves, and he knew all these things. So he, uh, he intimately prayed for them, and he prayed three really specific things. Number one, he prayed that God would fill them with joy. And then he also prayed that, um, that, he, that, they, that they would be protected from the evil one, that God would protect them from the evil one. And the, the last thing um, is from John 17, 17, and it says, Sanctify them by your truth. And it's, there's a comma there. And then it says, your word is the truth. Now, we know earlier in John um, that he kind of gives us a clear description of what the word, word actually means. So if you kind of translate that and know that the word means Jesus at that point, it says, sanctify them by your truth. Again, Jesus asking for his disciples to be sanctified through the actions that are getting ready to occur, through his death that they would be sanctified. So they will be able to carry on the mission that he was doing. And the last part of that whole dialogue, that prayer with God, really has to do with all of us in this room. We weren't born at that point. We weren't there. You know, we weren't part of that. But we were part of the plan. And God specifically prayed for all those that would hear the gospel one day become believers. And these are the words of, of, of Jesus through John. If you could uh, bring that up for me. So it's John 17, 22-23. It says, My prayer is not for them alone. He's talking about his disciples at this point. 
I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you and I are, just as you are in me, I am in you. May they also be in us so that the word world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I am them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. The world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as I have, you have loved me. I just think that's an incredibly intimate picture on his desire for us. You know, he's part God, and he wants us to be one with him so we can all be unified in that. It's just that sense of closeness and intimacy that we need to have that kind of connection so we are able to carry out what God has called us to do. Without that, that connection, without having that kind of for us really to express what our needs are and what we are trying to accomplish and see how that fits in God's vision. Now the third type of prayer comes from a Greek word as well, and it's and it's pronounced pro-you, pro-UK. Now pro-UK, the first part is pros, which is a closeness with God, and UK uh, really has to do with the desire or wish. Now, the disciples um, mentioned this in their writings uh, throughout the letters that they were writing in the New Testament. This is the type of prayer that they were involved in. Um, it's, it's commonly used throughout the New Testament, and Paul specifically used it in his letters to the different churches that he was uh, communicating with. Um, when, when Paul wrote the book of Ephesians and sending it to the church in Ephesus, um, that particular time, he was in Rome. He was in a prison, and he was at the end of his life. He was getting ready to uh, be killed for his faith, and, and he knew that. He knew his time was at hand, and very similar to Jesus, knew his time was at hand. Uh, what he chose to do is he chose to pray for, for us. Um, he was isolated. You know, when you're isolated and you're alone, and you don't have anybody else around to talk to, and you have faith, close to God. God provides you that, that closeness, that connection that, that you're really looking for to really get you past those hard times. He knew, he knew that he was going to die. But at the same time, he chose not to like focus on that. He chose to focus on prayer to God about us. So if you can bring up that scripture, it's Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. And this is what Paul said. For this reason I kneel, I'll kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and, and on earth derive its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurable more than all we can ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, 
to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Paul was really looking to try to help that church, those believers that were in that church. And I don't know if you know much about the letters that circular letters. So he would write to a specific church, and then all the churches that were planted around that church, that led from church to church to church to church. And they were read um, because they didn't have the Bible. You know, they had the Old Testament, but they didn't have the Gospels. So those letters were letters that were read at the churches. They were used for encouragement, and they were used to lift up those individuals and to try to help prepare them as they would continue on the work. So that's what that circular letter was for. That's exactly what he was trying to do. He was trying to help us prepare for those things. So, <clears throat> how do we apply this to our lives? The three types of prayers that we talked about were Maomai, Eroto, and Pro Pro U. Um, so, those are the three types of prayers that uh, were in the Bible. Obviously, there's more than those, but those are the three that we're focusing on. How do we use this type of praying to help us accomplish what we're trying to do? Well, first and foremost, I think that you have to kind of ask God, what are the things that are going on in your life? Who are the people that God has placed in your life, whether it be at work or where you live, the neighborhoods that you might be going in traditionally, um, soccer games that you might be going to, events that are occurring, Redskins football game, wherever you might go and be, who has God placed in your life that might allow you the opportunity to get to know him better and bring him up to Christ with you? In addition to that, you need to ask God, what is he trying to accomplish in this situation? Whose heart is he working on? And how can you help serve in a way that can create a connection with the individual that he's working on? And I also will say that God is looking for you to have a caring and loving heart. So pray to God that he gives you that caring and loving heart with a willingness to serve <clears throat> and that you might be able to share Christ with someone. And even more than anything else, seek the Holy Spirit in this. We've both heard both Jesus and Paul talk about having the fullness basically of God within you. In order for you to be able to accomplish what might seem unimaginable and very difficult, have the Holy Spirit in you, it's going to be a lot easier to be able to do what God has called you to do. God wants to fill you with the Spirit because He wants to show His glory through you. So embrace that and pray for that. When Jesus um, wants us to have uh, that really intimate connection. And in order for us to really dig into and, and, and figure out how how we can do this, I have one more piece of scripture, and it's Colossians 4, 2 through 4. And this, again, is Paul. And Paul says in this part of scripture, devote yourselves to prayer. Be watchful and thankful and pray for us, too, that God may open doors to our message so that we may proclaim the mysteries of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. So, Having the Holy Spirit in us, 
having having the power of God behind us, you know, to hear when we take those opportunities up and see around us and, and apply it to our lives and, and be able to share with others. Now, we're going to have a moment of, of prayer time together as a group. And in a minute, I'm going to ask that you, as part of the prayer team, to come up here and we're going to assist with that. But before I do, one last story to talk to you about. Um, has anyone in the room seen uh, the movie First Man? First man, hopefully more people haven't seen that movie. Um, first man is the story of Neil Armstrong, and he's the first man on the moon. So back in 1969, in July, um, two really big events were going on at that time uh, in the world. You had the Vietnam War, and you had the race for space with the Russians and the United States. And we were determined that we were going to be the first people on the moon. The mission was clear. We had to have our U.S. astronauts go from Earth, fly in a spaceship, and touch down and land on the moon. And people, some people agreed with it, some people disagreed with it. There was money being spent. Um, but the movie itself, um, I enjoyed it. Some people didn't enjoy it. The movie itself um, really focused on Neil Armstrong's life and the struggles that he went through. So in the course of his life, he lost a daughter to cancer. And in addition to losing a daughter to cancer, he lost a lot of his good friends um, that were pioneers that were before him that died in accidents uh, to try to get to the moon. And in addition to that, um, he also uh, experienced troubles with his relationship with his wife. But it kept, kept reoccurring over and over again within the movie where he kept looking up at the moon. We never lost sight of what the goal and the mission was. So on that day in July, and I don't know how I remember this, but I can remember being in our apartment and the television being on, and I was only one years old when this happened. But I remember it on TV, and I remember that it, everybody was watching it. At that time, there were 3 billion people that lived on Earth. And of the 3 billion people, 1 billion people were either listening to it on the radio and or watching it on TV as it was happening. And you have to remember, the other half of the people that lived on the Earth at the time didn't have access to television and or radio. It's huge. One-third of the entire population was focused around a mission and an event that was going on. And I think to myself, what if we treated our mission with God just like the U.S. treated that mission we had on the moon? What if we were able to focus all of our attention? Now, the population has grown. We're now 7 billion people. And of the 7 billion people, there's 1.3 billion people that actually consider themselves Christians. You know, that means a lot of people after this movie, and I don't know if it was um, because of the movie, I had a dream that night, I don't even think I talked to Lisa about this, I had a dream that night, and it had to do with a bus, and we're talking about like the commuter buses, you know, the metro buses that go from Prince William County up to the Pentagon, and, and if you look at those buses, they always have the, the destination, it's like the little circle, and it tells you where you're going, whether it's the Pentagon or Christmas City or wh wherever it is, and in the dream, I was the bus driver. And the destination on the bus said heaven, okay? So heaven was being displayed there. And I was going through, I guess, Prince William County or wherever I was. I've read details. I'm kind of OCD a little bit. But as I would get to the bus stop, I would open the door, and I would welcome them to come onto the bus. And, you know, some people just came on willingly, were excited about it, they got on the bus, and, and they went on their way. 
sometimes I would come to stops and individuals would be there and say, yeah, no, I'm not going that direction. I, I don't want that. So I would smile at them and said, you're always welcome. And then I would shut the door and continue. And sometimes I would get to uh, a destination and open the door and there were individuals that would stand there and they would say, I'm not going that way. But I could tell that there was a hesitation in what they were saying. They really wanted to be on the bus. So I would ask them, where are you going? And they would tell me, you know, I'm going here. And I said, that's okay, I have time. We can go that way first. So I guess the moral to that story in my dream was, you know, make sure that you're looking at the people that are around you that are open to the love of Christ. And, and they might take you a little bit out of your Anybody here that has been on the prayer team and or has prayed uh, for, for individuals in the past, I ask you to come up. There has to be a few more than that, Margaret. I know you were on the team. Hey, David, can you help me out here? I know that you guys, uh, you still get the emails. Who else is getting emails from Gloria about... Uh, So what we're going to do here is the band's going to play music lightly in the background. And what I'm going to ask uh, everybody that's up here, by the way, these are individuals that on a week-to-week -week basis, when there is a need in or a prayer that's going on, they dedicate their time to make sure that those needs are prayed for. So behind the scenes, you know, they do it because they want to make sure that, uh, that your needs are being taken care of by God. So they dedicate their time to that. So I thank you guys for someone immediately that comes to mind that might be a little bit far from God right now. Somebody that you know that God has placed in your life that you want to share this message with. So I want you to think about that. And what we're going to do is each one is going to kind of walk around the room a little bit, and I'm going to do it as well. We're going to take a couple minutes and try to identify that individual and pray for them. And then the band will conclude with a song. Turn chairs around. 